Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at Coastline Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Great to see you, church. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, We are. We're starting a new series, and this series is going to take us all the way to Palm Sunday as we approach Easter. If you can believe it, Easter's early this year. It's in March, and we're only about five, six weeks away from our, our Easter themes and all of that. So What are we going to do right now? Well, it is, you know, sort of uh, the season. It's February. It's the season of Valentine's and so on. And it's been many, many years since we touched on any areas of like romance and relationship and stuff like that. So actually in this new series, it's called An Unexpected uh, Love Story. And so we are going to touch on some of that. We're going to touch it gently. We're going to touch it sensitively. Uh, We get a lot of feedback when we talk about relationships. And some of you may be Uh, in one stage of life or a different stage of life. Uh, Some of us um, are, obviously, we're we're born single. And then uh, sometimes we're single again later on in our lives as well. And so we we identify that. Even in the coming weeks, I'll share a few stats about uh, singleness and the church and uh, people getting married and so on. But we are going to touch gently on some some relationship aspects. And here's my commitment. My commitment even today is that I'm going to be careful, but I'm, I'm going to present myself uh, in a very loving way. And, and uh, you may hear some things that are challenging for you today a little bit. Uh, and here's what I'd ask you to consider doing. If, I, I'd ask you to consider leaning in. I promise I'll be gentle uh, and loving, and, and, and I'd ask you to lean in. You don't have to lean in. I'll be gentle and loving anyway. But if we do this together, I think God might be able to help us. God might be able to speak to us. God might be able to rewire some things, rework some things, and help us with making some important decisions. Um, This is going to be a fun series. We're in a a really interesting book. Um, And I think the best way to describe it would be to talk through movie genres. So can I get some audience participation today? How many of you uh, would say, my favorite genre of movie is an action movie? Like, I just love an action movie. I want something to blow up. I want cars to crash. I want there to be shootouts. I'm like, I'm into that. Somebody should get a karate chop to the throat or something should happen. Yeah, okay, so action people, you're my people. How many of you say, you know what, if I'm going to watch a movie, I want to laugh. I don't, I, I, life's too serious. I'm a comedy person. I want to I want a comedy. Ridiculous, it doesn't matter. I just want a comedy. I want to laugh. I want something quotable. I want to tell that joke later. All right, how many of you say, you know what, it's all about the sci-fi and the superhero. Anybody into that? Like, that's my movie genre. Let me do that. Okay. There was a lot of those at the West Shore. That's the kind of people that are out there. Okay. <laughs> Sci-fi people out there. No, just kidding. How many of you say, like, I'm more of the epic drama. I want Braveheart. I want 15 hours of cinematography. That's what I'm after. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good, good. Get some hands. Okay. What have I missed? What other genre have I missed? Okay, who's into the rom-com? Any rom-com people out there? Okay, yeah, 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 good, good, good. Okay, well, I, I'm sharing that with you because if our, if our storyline, if the book that we're, we're studying, which is the book of Ruth, was a movie genre, it would be a rom without the calm, okay? 
this is kind of romantic drama. Um, there's no, there's no uh, shootouts, no explosions, no car chases. It's kind of more pride and prejudice, you know. It's kind of notebook-ish. It's sort of, it's like a, a slow burn, okay. Um, it's not Sylvester Stallone and uh, Bruce Willis. It's more Drew Barrymore and Jennifer Aniston. There's a lot of dialogue, okay. Um, there's no car chases or explosions. Um, there's a couple of women and a lot of talking, okay. <laughs> in fact, in fact, out of the 85 verses that make up the book of Ruth, 55 of them are dialogue, okay? Just going to talk. Let's just talk. Lots of talking. Um, yeah, so it gives us an opportunity to touch on relationship. Um, it's familial relationship. It's interpersonal relationship. It's romantic relationship. It gives us a lot of places uh, to, to uh, learn and to grow and to look. But let me set up the story. Every good story has a tragedy, and there's many, many deep uh, elements of pain in the story. So let me set it up. Sadly, it's about two women who have lost everything. But in the midst of this, God is present. And he's present in the most unexpected ways. And, and you know, there's no miracles. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no raising of the dead. There's no healing of the sick in this story. But on every page, we see the presence and the power and the providence of God just showing up over and over and over again. And so my hope for you today um, is that this book of the Bible would cause something to rise in you, that you would feel like we're speaking to those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are discouraged. Maybe you feel like you've lost some hope, but you know God has something better for you. Maybe you feel stuck, but you know God wants to help you be unstuck. What, what we're going to do is we're going to look together into this story, and we're going to find some hope. You know, um, when I was a younger man, I uh, ran a marathon. I ran the Royal Victoria Marathon. It's the one and only time I ran a marathon because for the next month, I had to walk backwards downstairs. Um, and, and when you're running that marathon, it's kind of an interesting loop. Um, because you go through the city, you start downtown, and you go down Dallas Road and, and up along you know, the water and into Oak Bay and up through all the way up to like Glenland, uh, Glenland Norfolk School and you kind of turn around there and you come through, back through Oak Bay and down into the water. And um, when, you, when you get back to the water, you're almost done. So I remember when I was running the marathon, I got back to the water and I, I, it was about a kilometer 37 and I'm starting up uh, by Clover Point. You know where Dallas Road is at Clover Point? And while I'm running there, um, I'm like, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. I'm literally going to just lie down right here. Um, it was a hill. And some of you go like, I've driven down Dallas Road. There's no hill. No, no. At kilometer 37, that's a hill. Okay? It's a hill. It's a hill. And so I'm going up this hill, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And something happened in my psyche. Something happened. I don't know if it was the endorphins, if it was the Lord. I'm not sure what it was. But I had this moment where I just said, no, no, no. This is kilometer 37. I only have to go to 42.9. I'm like almost there. I'm almost there. Okay, Andy, this is your new starting line. That's what I said to myself, my new starting line. It's only a few kilometers. Come on, just dig deep. It's your new starting line. You got this from here to there. You've done that a million times. You can do that. And what I'm saying, what, the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because I honestly feel like as we start this series, some of you need to just grab that for yourself. This is a new starting line. Maybe it's been a hard road. 
Maybe it's been a challenging road. Maybe you've come as far as you, uh, uh, farther than you thought and as far as you want, and you just want to sit down right here. Listen, let me tell you, God still has something for you. He's got something good for you. This is a new starting line. I really believe that today. This is a new starting line for you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that you have given it to us. And as we look into this Old Testament story of Ruth, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? Would you give us a sense of broad reflection and application in this story for us? As an individual, Lord, speak to us corporately as a church, as couples, as families, as single people. Speak to your church, Lord, through your word. It is alive, and we receive it today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Let's get started. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, great place to start. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. They left Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread, because the cupboards were bare. <laughs> there was no bread in the house of bread, and they had to find a new way. So they went to Moab. They left Bethlehem and went to Moab. Now, it's interesting to note that when the scripture starts, when this book opens up, it opens up with this phrase, in the days when the judges ruled. And that phrase is very interesting. Does anybody know the book before Ruth? What's before Ruth in your Bible? Anybody know? Judges, you win the prize. Free coffee, right beside the coffee bar right there. You win the prize. Um, and you all win the prize. Okay, um, Judges. Judges is before this, exactly. So this is now stepping out of Judges into Ruth, but it was during the time of the Judges. And the interesting thing about Judges is when you get to the end of the storyline, Judges is a series of leaders who rise up to protect or deliver Israel. And, and through this, there's a series ongoing, you know, they would um, disobey God and they would be oppressed and then God would send a judge, they'd cry out and they'd be delivered. And this goes over and over and over again. But during the time of the judges, when you get to the end of the book, it kind of gives you a summary of the whole storyline you just read. And it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That was the reality. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, just doing their best, just taking the information they have, just taking the situation they've been given and doing what they believe is right in their own eyes. And friends, I think it's very interesting. That's similar to today. Similar to today, people are finding their own way. They're determining their own steps. They're deciding their own path, and they are finding their own way forward. They're doing what they believe is right in their own eyes. The interesting thing is, is at some point, God shows up. He shows up in this story. He shows up in our lives and has something to say about the way we live. And when God has something to say about the way we live, we come into this crisis point where we have to decide what we're going to do with what God is saying about the way we live. The interesting thing is that the names of each of these people have a bearing on the story. That's why their names are given. Firstly, we meet the, one of the main characters at the very beginning of the story. The first person mentioned is Elimelech, and he was the husband of Naomi, and his name means, my God is king, which is very interesting considering 
that the nation was, at that time, doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes, Elimelech, by name, says, I belong to God. I belong to the God of Israel. I belong to Yahweh. I am, uh, my name actually says that that God is my king. I don't need a king. Time of the judges, there was no king. I have one. His name is God. And Naomi, his wife, her name means sweet. It's interesting, later on in the storyline, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm bitter. Life has been hard. There's tragedy in the storyline. Uh, but her name means sweet. And, 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 you know, so we've got my God is king. we got sweet. And then they have two sons. And the two sons are uh, named Malon and Kilion. And when you name children in the Bible, the names either were representative of what you wanted for that child, like godly, strong, whatever, or it was emblematic of something that you saw in that child, like, whoa, look at those toes. You will be called ugly feet, right? <laughs> I mean, they named their kids all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, interesting thing about Malon and Kilion. Malon means sick, and, Kil- and Kilion means tired. Here's my children, sick and tired. <laughs> I wonder if they knew they had options. You don't have to name them sick and tired. Anyway, uh, there's a famine in the land, and so Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, he's worried about his family, and so he moves from Bethlehem to Moab. And here's a problem. The problem is is that God had strictly forbidden the Israelites from ever living in Moab. And the Moabites um, were descendants of a man named Moab, and the story of Moab is quite terrible. In fact, um, if you're reading the Bible in one year, you would have got to Genesis 19, and you would have heard the story of Moab. So um, Abraham's nephew, Lot, goes to live in Sodom, and God is going to destroy Sodom because of their wickedness. So Lot comes out with his two daughters. His wife refuses to follow, and she then is caught up in the, uh, the wrath of God on Sodom. And so here's now Lot, destitute in the mountains with his two daughters and no future. And so they were polluted. These daughters were polluted by the culture of Sodom. And so they decided, let's get our father drunk and we will have sex with him. And that way, then we can have children. And they did this. It's gross. It's terrible. It's awful. And that's exactly what happened. And one of them was named Moab. And so that was the beginning. They brought the, the filth of Sodom into a new generation, and Moab was born. And the Moabites worshipped the god Chemosh. And this was a god who desired, uh, it was a false god who desired human sacrifice. And so they would sacrifice their children to Chemosh. And so in the Bible, speaking in Psalm 60, it says, Moab is my wash basin. In other words, that's the place where I wash my dirty feet. It was not a place where the Israelites should go. They should have never been there. But Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, was not living up to his name. Why? Because he couldn't feed his family. He had a choice to make, and he did what was right in his own eyes, He didn't do it God's way, but he did what was right in his own eyes. And I can see it all. I can see the rationalization of it for sure. I mean, there's a better economy there. I can get a good job. I can find a house. I can be a better provider for my family if we just go to Moab. And this is an interesting thought. Let's apply it to ourselves now. When it comes to our families, we're often uh, tempted to prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection. 
Let me say it again. We're often tempted to prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection. And so Elimelech moves his family to Moab out of the spiritual protection of being under uh, Bethlehem and in the land of Israel, out to the land of Moab. And the goal was, I need more money. I need more economic security. I need to look after my family. And sometimes when we prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection, what happens is we end up with more money, but we also end up with less God. And so, friends, that's something for us to reflect on. But in these tough times, he left Bethlehem and God's people and went to the sinful land of Moab. So that's the storyline. Here's a question. When times get tough, what do you do? When times get tough for you, what do you do? Do you trust in God? Do you obey him? Or do you move to Moab? Right? Do you move to Moab? You know, Elimelech saying, my God is king. Maybe some of you are saying, my God is king. You're the king of my life, God. And I'm going to trust and obey you. But when it comes to my dating life, I know the Bible says I shouldn't have sex before I get married. But I've been dating and waiting and I want to be mating. And what do I do? What decision do I make? I have needs. Am I going to trust God or am I going to go to Moab? My God is king. He's the king of my life. But, and I'm going to trust and obey him. And I know I should be tithing. And I know I should be giving financially. But, but, but things are tight. And I have worries. And I also have things I want to buy. And so what am I going to do? Trust and obey God or move to Moab? You know, God is the king of my life, and I, I've, I've determined I'm not going to get drunk ever again. I'm not going to be drinking, but I have a bad day at work, and the stress falls heavy. What do I do? Do I trust in God, or do I move to Moab? Are you understanding what I'm saying here? You see, the truth is, when times get tough, Moab looks tempting, doesn't it? It looks so tempting. It's just right there. And listen, I'm not judging Elimelech. I mean, he had great need he was in quite a dilemma. His children were going to starve. And honestly, the truth is, many of us have moved to Moab for much less. And so there's no judgment for Elimelech. The question is, what was the results? What happened when he left God's people, when he left God's will? Oh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Everything worked out fine. Okay, close your Bible. Let's go home, right? Obviously, there's a story here. Things did not work out fine. Let's read on. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I mean, this is the tragedy of the story. This is ashes everywhere. This is brokenness. First, Elimelech dies. We don't know. Maybe he had a stroke. Maybe he got run over by a camel. I think it happens. I'm sure it's happened. We don't know. But he left his wife in a really bad place. I want to show you a map just really quickly of, of kind of where Moab is. So just take a look up here. See, Bethlehem is here, really close to Jerusalem. And and just around the Dead Sea, past the Jordan River, which would be meandering up, is Moab. It's 50 miles in total. It would have taken them a few days to get there back and forth. And yet, after Elimelech dies, Naomi stays for 10 years. 
Not only does she stay, but her sons integrate into Moabite culture, marrying Moabite women, which was something that God had strictly forbidden. Let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt. The sons probably thought, these girls are awesome. They're super cute. They've got great personalities. And I think we can convert them. Maybe we can convert them. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm being playful, but listen, this is where I need you to lean in with me for just a moment. In God's love, God has given us boundaries. And, and God has given us direction in regard to our lives as Christians, in regard to those who aren't believers. And whether it's people who are getting married for the first time, or people who are in a remarriage after the death of a spouse or a broken relationship, the question that comes to me very often is, is it okay to marry a, a non-believer? And I want to say lovingly, and I want to say gently, that the Bible says, no, it's not okay. It's not God's best for you. In fact, this is what the Bible says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And some of you might be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is God so restrictive? I mean, Andy, if it's got to be people in the church, the pool just got really small, right? <laughs> Come on. God's not interested in spoiling your fun. He's interested in protecting your future. He's interested in his plan for your life. He's interested in your legacy and what's best for you in the long term. He loves you. And so listen, if God is your king, just hear me. If God is your king, why would you share your life and raise your family with someone who doesn't know your God? It causes trouble. It causes tensions. It causes problems. It causes crisis. In fact, think about going through a crisis. What do you need from your spouse? You need... You need someone who you can clasp hands with and pray when you don't know what to do. You need someone who's going to exercise their faith with you and believe for God to do something that cannot be seen right now. And the truth is, is when it comes to raising children and you have someone who's a believer and someone who's not as a parent, you have two role models. How tragic it is when children grow up and decide to follow a role model that doesn't include God or church in their lives. And this is a reality, friends. And I'm saying this very gently, and we're going to see a redemptive path through Ruth's life, who was a Moabite woman. And so maybe you're in a place today, and you say, Andy, it's too late. I got married before I was a believer, or I'm a believer and my spouse isn't, and I'm married. Listen, you know what I'm praying for you? I'm praying that the same spirit that Ruth embodied would come to your spouse, and let's pray together that God would draw them near and make himself real to your spouse. We can pray that together. We'll pray with you. We'll believe for that. But remember, why, why did they leave Bethlehem in the first place? They left Bethlehem in the first place so that they wouldn't die of starvation. But what happens when you leave the spiritual protection and go uh, to the economic provision? What we see here is in Moab, three of them died. There, it wasn't a rescue it was a suicide. So the story of Ruth begins with three widows who have no home, who have no money, who have no hope. In fact, if you were a widow, you're in, you are destitute. And finally, at this stage, Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. She says, okay, that's it. I'm going back. I'm going back to Bethlehem. And 
you know, along the way, we have the dialogue of these three women, and, and they're in conversation, and they start down the road, and, and these three main characters, which were these women, begin their dialogue, and Naomi says, listen, girls, you guys are young. Go back to your people. Go back to your land. I'm just going to go back to Bethlehem. I'll just die there. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. I'm just going to go back. And so, you know, he says this to, to her two daughter-in-laws, and and Orpah decides, okay, yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start a TV show. I'm in a magazine. Bit of an empire. Just kidding. Orpah, not o- Oprah. Yeah, anyway. Um, but Ruth, Ruth makes another decision. Ruth makes a powerful decision. And she, she speaks for the first time in verse 16. And let's read what she says. As Naomi is urging her to go, she says, But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Wow, what a powerful verse. This is a powerful verse. You know, sometimes we we see it on like wedding napkins and things like that. But this is really about Ruth's massive declaration of loyalty to Naomi and commitment to the God of Israel. She's going on record and saying, I'm leaving Moab behind and I'm going with you. I'm choosing the God of Israel and I'm choosing loyalty to you. So Ruth and Naomi left Moab and they returned to God in Bethlehem. Returned. This word return shows up over and over again in the New Testament. Did you know that? It's a Hebrew word, shub. You can try it on. Shub. Not shove, but shub. Shub. Come on, try it. It's fun to say. Shub. You can say it about someone. What is shub? <laughs> shub. And this word means to return. Shub. And it's 1,100 times mentioned in the Old Testament. To return. It's the same word that we get for our understanding of the word repentance. It, they could be interchangeable. To return. It's to turn your back and to go. To change direction. To turn around. To shove means it highlights one of the most important truths, and that's it. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. Can I say that again? To get to the right place, you've got to leave the wrong one. And that's exactly what Ruth and Naomi did. They said, we're out of here, we're turning our backs on Moab, and we're moving forward. Listen, to marry the right person, you're going to have to leave the wrong one. And for some of you, you're in a relationship that you know needs to come to an end. So I want to I just talk to you for a moment as I close about the decision that Ruth made. Because really, she made one decision, friends. She made one choice. She made the decision to turn her back on Moab and to go to God in Bethlehem. She turned her back on Moab, and she went to God in Bethlehem. She said, your God will be my God. Your people, my people. It was one decision. It was one act of repentance, one choice that changed her life forever and changed the legacy of her life and of the world. She changed the world because she simply said, I'm going to turn my back on Moab, and I'm going to head toward Bethlehem. This is my moment. I'm leaving the past behind, and I'm going forward. And listen, she made that statement while they were on the road. I'm moving toward God. And and the picture is this. Every step 
that she took on, those, on that 50-mile journey, every step she took, she was moving closer to her destiny and further from her past. It was one decision, but it changed everything, friends. This choice that she made to head to Bethlehem was an amazing decision. She said, I'm leaving Moab. I'm going back to the house of bread. And spoiler alert, there was somebody else who came later on in history who also went to Bethlehem to be born. Do you remember who that was? Jesus. Jesus. And here's what you need to know. Spoiler alert, Ruth is a direct relative of Jesus. Every step she took was moving her further and further away from her past and into her future, into what was wrong and into what was right, away from what was wrong and into what was right. She was moving. She was moving into the very plan and destiny of God. One decision, one choice. It's powerful. And so as we, as we finish up today, I'm, I'm basically done now. I want to I wanna ask you a question. What one decision could you make? What one action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and your legacy? I mean, that, that's where this gets really practical. Can I, can I look at my life and, and can I say, you know what? I, I, I say God is my king, but there's some place where I'm still living in Moab. What decision can I make? What action can I take that would change the trajectory of my life and my legacy? That's a question we can wrestle with. Maybe somebody needs to go home and cut up that credit card, right? Maybe that's what's holding you back is the way you're using your money. Maybe you need to make a phone call or look somebody in the eye and actually apologize. Say, I'm sorry for my part in this. I want this relationship to be better. I just want to say I'm sorry. Maybe it's different than that. Maybe for some of you, it's that you are in a relationship that needs to end, and you're just one decision away from a new life. Maybe for somebody else, you're in this place, and you're saying, you know what? I I need to block that person from phoning me. I need to lose that phone number and never call that person again. They're just the wrong person for me. It's the wrong moment. It's the wrong way. Maybe it's about an addiction that you just need to confess. You haven't told anybody, but you're struggling. Your decision is to get it out of the dark so God can heal it. Maybe your decision is to live on less and to give more. Maybe you need to surrender something to God. Maybe you need to surrender someone to God. Maybe you need to get on your knees and surrender yourself to him. What one decision can you make? What one action can you take that would change the trajectory of your life and your legacy. Let's pray together. Will you bow your head with me for just a moment? You know, to get to the right place, you got to leave the wrong one. <laughs> and I just had this sense that as I was praying and preparing that there's some people in here who feel like they're stuck. They've made decisions. They've made choices. 
Maybe you're here today and you feel like there's a series of steps that I have taken that has brought me to this place and you feel stuck. Listen to me. You're not stuck. You are not stuck. You have a future in Jesus. God has a pathway out of Moab and back to Bethlehem. God has a way of leading you. You trust him. You reach out to him. You say, but it's so complicated. I, I, I mean, it's like, a, it's like a web. I'm just like, I'm stuck in it. Listen, just piece by piece, the Lord will help you. The Lord will direct you. The Lord will lead you. There's a new path for you. There's a new starting line for you. Receive that today. Receive that today. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Andy, I, I'm, I'm the one who needs to get on my knees. Maybe not physically, but like before God, I need to just surrender my life to him. I'm not living a surrendered life to Jesus, and I, and I want to. If that's you, you lift up your hand right now. It's, everybody's heads are bowed. We're praying. You can just join. Yeah, I see hands going up already. You can join these that are lifting their hand and just say, I need Jesus today. I need him. I need a new life in him. I need a new path. Ah, oh, this has got to be a new day. This is, I need a new starting line with Jesus. You can put your hands down. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm just so thankful for those who are responding to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd allow this message to be picked up and carried out the door with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight through your Holy Spirit to know what is our one thing, our one decision that changes the trajectory of our life and legacy, our one action that changes the trajectory of our life and legacy. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to us, that you would continue to be so gentle in your love and in your direction. And no matter how complicated life might feel, may every single one of us leave here with hope, knowing that Jesus, you answer our prayers, you see our uplifted hand. And right now, Lord, we make the decision together that we're gonna leave Moab, whatever that is in our lives, and we're gonna head toward Bethlehem. So guide us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Come on, church, let's stand together, hey? Thank you. Thank you. I'm just so convinced of how good God is and how much he has for us. So let's just believe that this day is a beginning. It's a new starting line, right? You, this is your moment. Take it. Take it. Right? Okay. Love you, church.